Hey, well, good morning to all of you. It's a joy to be with you. This is really one of my favorite places to come, and it's always a privilege to open and share God's Word here. Uh, thanks to your church for your support and partnership with us in uh, the different things that we do in sharing the gospel, a lot through the world of sports, but then some other arenas as well. And I love Jeff and Denise so much and are grateful for their friendship. I really didn't know for sure Jeff was a pastor because he was never here whenever I would come. But I'm glad to see you actually do have a church that you pastor. Uh, and Chad and uh, Andy and just all your staff and many friends that uh, we know here. It's great to see you today. I'll give you just a few quick uh, updates just ministry-wise. And uh, some we'll also share via some video during the message but uh, certainly this last year was kind of a different year for us. Uh, we were in spring training when uh, they shut everything down. We all headed north. And really right away, uh, first of all, in spring training, our Bible study was the end times. And uh, so we would meet one night a week, uh, players, wives, girlfriends, staff. And our study was really on the end time events. And then, of course, the COVID thing comes. And guys are like, is, is this what you're talking about? I said, no, no, I'm not saying that. But um, uh, we all headed north, and then right away, guys got on Zoom, and we did Bible studies, and we would do chapels on Zoom. So even through the season, when the team was on the road or at home, at a certain time on Sunday morning, I would log on uh, there in my home, and guys would jump on their phones or their iPads from the clubhouse, from uh, the bus, if they were still at the hotel, wherever they were at, they would jump on and we would do chapels together. And then one night a week, we would do a pretty uh, long Bible study as well, uh, going through some Navigator's material. So it really turned out to be, in some ways, a wonderful time of growth spiritually for guys uh, who actually were more consistent in some times and ways than they might normally be. Uh, and then the annual home plate event that we do is at the ballpark. Well, this year, of course, we couldn't do it, but the Tigers asked us, uh, hey, do a home plate virtually. So eight of our guys uh, recorded segments, and then uh, Frank Tanana gave a gospel message. We put it all together, and that's uh, available online if you haven't seen it. I'll give you the website. You can go click on it. It's homeplatedetroit.org, just homeplatedetroit.org, and on the homepage right there, there's a button in the middle that says watch the virtual Home Plate 2020. One of the, my favorite parts of that entire video, it's an hour-long program, is right at the beginning. Uh, many of you remember Matt Hammett, who I know has been up here, a Christian recording artist. So Matt sang a couple songs for the program, but the first song that he did was with his son Bowen. Bowen's 10 years old, and Bowen has uh, had three major heart surgeries. Almost died when he was born, and had surgery as a baby, and then another one, and uh, had one coming up just in the last year or so. And his dad said, hey, what do you want to do before your surgery? because these are life-threatening type surgeries. And uh, Bowen said, let's make an album. So he and his dad put an album together. And uh, one of the songs that they wrote and they sing on our program is called Heart Strong. And it's such a great song. I encourage you to watch it. If you uh, go to watch the Home Plate program and just watch the song, uh, that'd be worth it. Uh, so I appreciate your prayers for our ministry as uh, we continue on. Um, during the off-season, we're doing Bible studies. Uh, one of the umpires who lives locally in Michigan, we meet weekly, going through a discipleship book. And then we're yet to uh, know for certain how things will play out for this coming spring training and the season. At the very least, 
uh, we'll be doing things that we've done uh, via Zoom and so forth again. So I appreciate your prayers uh, for us in all of that. Hey, uh, this morning I want to share with you uh, from God's Word uh, in Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, uh, the story, we often call it the transfiguration. And it's when Jesus goes up on a mountain uh, and he takes three of his uh, disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And on that mountain, Jesus is transfigured. The word transfigured there in the Greek, it's a word that you're familiar with. It's the word metamorphosis, so it means to change. And on that mountain, uh, these guys got to see Jesus changed outwardly from his earthly form to how he will appear in glory one day. And it really is a highlight moment of their lives. And so this transfiguration takes place uh, on a mountain that is not named, uh, many believe it's a mountain in northern Israel called Mount Hermon, which stands about 9,200 feet in elevation as highest point. Well, they probably didn't go to the top of the mountain, but uh, the, the foothills leading up to that mountain gradually go up. And somewhere in that area or up onto the mountain itself is where he takes these three and he's changed before their eyes and they get a glimpse of how Jesus will be the king coming in glory one day. They get a glimpse of that. It's a highlight moment of their lives. Peter will write about it in 2 Peter when he writes a letter uh, later on. Uh, on this mountain, as they made their way to it, they would have been in the area of a city named Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Mount Hermon's about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, a little more than halfway there as you go up the foothills is Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was built by a ruler in Israel named Philip. And he built it in honor of Caesar, the leader of Rome. And remember, Rome occupied Israel at the time. And so Philip says, you know, I want to get in good with Caesar. I'll build him a city. So he took this old village and kind of refurbished it and renamed it Caesarea in honor of Caesar, but there was already another Caesarea in the area. So you know what he did? He says, I'll call it Caesarea, I'll add on Philippi, in honor of who? Him, right? I'll put my name on it too. And so Caesarea Philippi is this city that kind of reminded the people that Rome was their king. It was, it was not a Jewish community. It was kind of a, a Roman outpost in the northern part of Israel, up on some of the elevation, kind of looking down, saying, don't forget who rules your life. And isn't that true with us today, that there are, there's world powers, uh, the evil forces of this world, uh, that want to say to us, hey, we're in charge. And the reality, as we sang a few moments ago, is what? They're not in charge, are they? Jesus is king. And so Jesus goes into that area, up onto that mountain area, and is going to reveal himself as king right in the same area where Rome is making its, its presence known that they're the king. And we still have choices to make in our world today, don't we? Who's going to be my king? Is it going to be the world and its philosophies and values, or is it going to be Jesus? How many of you, when you were a kid, played that, the game King of the Mountain, right? Or King of the Raft? 
Well, you know what? That battle still goes in in our hearts often today. Who's going to be your king and who's going to be my king? So we go to this story now in Mark chapter 9, and I'll go ahead and read it here. Uh, beginning in verse number 2, and we'll stop a few times as we go. After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Uh, first, these three guys were the, of the 12, they were the closest to Jesus. And uh, many times we get the image of these guys being old men. You know, you go to some churches, you'll see paintings or stained glass windows of these really old guys. Well, eventually they got to be that. But at this particular point, these were young men. In fact, some put John maybe as young as his late teenage years. And the other guys in their early 20s. Of the 12, we only know of one for sure who was married. And that was Peter. And uh, rabbis would have kind of, a, kind of an assistant who was older than the rest of their followers. And most likely that is the role Peter is fulfilling. Jesus the rabbi, Peter his first uh, lieutenant, if you will, and uh, probably in his mid-20s, and then the other guys uh, that age or younger. And so these three who were closest to Jesus go up onto this mountain uh, with him. And then it says this, he was transfigured before them. And we've already told you what that word means. It means to change, be changed, like uh, into a butterfly. So he's changed. Um, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And that's the description given here of what they see. If you want a greater description of what that might have looked like, read Revelation chapter 1. John, uh, same John who's on the island of Patmos years later, uh, has Jesus appear to him in this same glorified manner. And there in Revelation 1, he gives a little further in-depth description of what he saw. And so Jesus appears in this glorified fashion as a king there on this mountain. Uh, and then it goes on to say this in verse number uh, 4. Uh, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, folks, Elijah and Moses are two of the heroes of the Old Testament. Uh, Moses kind of representing the law. Uh, Elijah, the prophets. And many times the, the term, the law and the prophets, uh, were, were, was used to describe the entirety of the Old Testament. And so here on that mountain is Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And they're talking like over here amongst themselves. Over here are Peter, James, and John. Like, whoa, look where we're at and look where, who we're with. And the next part says this. Uh, and Peter, verse five, said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. My favorite part of this passage is this next phrase. For he did not know what to say. It's always good when you don't know what to say to say something. Don't you find that to be true? Not. He didn't know what to say because they were in awe. They were terrified. But he got to say something anyway. And all of us probably can relate to times in our life where we've done that. So I love what he says. Hey, hey 
Jesus and Moses and Light, it's really good that we're here with you. And why don't we build three tents and just stay up here? Three tents for you, we're good sleeping on the ground. And, uh, and it really is kind of a humorous little interaction that he gives. Uh, how many are golfers out here? Okay, I played with Jeff and uh, other golfers here too, so I'm going to pick on Jeff. So let's say Jeff shows up at the golf course one day, and he's all by himself, doesn't have a tea time, and says to the, the guy in the pro shop, hey, can I get out? Can you put me with the group? So he gets paired up with the group, and he says, go down to the first tee, you'll meet the guys down there. He gets down to the first tee, and there, uh, the other three guys that he's paired up with are Tiger Woods, <laughs> Phil Mickelson, and Jack Nicholas. He's like, whoa, look who I'm with. So they tee off. Tiger bombs went out there. Phil bombs went out there. Jack bombs went out there for his age. And uh, Jeff hits went out there. And, um, and so they get out to the fairway, and it's Jeff's out, so he hits. And uh, they go a little further, and Jeff's still out, so he hits again. And, and they go through this round, these three stars, Hall of Famers, and Jeff. And at the end of the round, Jeff says, you know, it's really good. We got to play together. You guys want to do this again next week? And that's kind of the feeling here. Hey, Jesus, it's really good that we're up here with you. He didn't know what to say. And then it goes on to say this. Uh, and, and by the way, wouldn't you want to stay on that mountaintop too? We all like it on the mountaintop. Who wants to go back down to the valley? Now, I don't know where you're at personally today. But I know uh, life has its mountaintops and life has its valleys. And some today, I hope you're on a mountaintop, but the reality is probably many of us are in a valley in some way or another. When you go back a year ago and think, where, where was I at then with work or health or uh, society and everything, uh, maybe that was more of a mountaintop than we find ourselves in today. And I understand we all have that desire to want to live on that mountaintop, but Jesus is king whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. And that's really what he's teaching us in this story, is I'm your king, whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're down in a valley. The rest of the passage says this um, in verse number seven, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, and isn't that true for us? There's always a time when we're going to come down the mountain, go into a valley. When they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to tell no one, or charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning with the rising from the dead might mean. And so we have the story of these guys on a mountaintop experience, and now they're going to make their way back down into the valley. And when they're on that mountaintop, Jesus is revealed as king. And, uh, and in this story, we're taught how Jesus should be our king, whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're down in the valley. And so there are four lessons that I think we pick up here in this story. Here's the first one. In verse number seven, it said this. There was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. 
You know one of the first lessons that we need to take with us so that Jesus is king on the valley or in the, uh, in, on the mountain or in the valley or uh, in highs or in lows? The first lesson is this. We need to submit to Jesus' authority. What did that verse say? Listen to him. Who's your source of authority in life? Who do you listen to? Who is the one that you and I are going to submit to? Uh, the way that we make Jesus king is we listen to what he says and we do it. And that begins, folks, at salvation. When we come to faith in Christ, we submit to him as our Savior and Lord. But then it is a lifetime of living in submission to him after that. It never ends. I came to faith in Christ uh, through a public high school Bible study when I was 16 years old from a totally non-church background. And at that point, by the grace of God and the gift of faith, I submitted my life to him. Doesn't mean life is perfect. Doesn't mean I don't mess up. Doesn't mean I don't buck and try to do my own thing at times. But when that initial submission and salvation occurs, do you know what our desire overall is after that point? Is to want to keep submitting. Lord, what do I do next? Uh, where do you want me to go next? What do you want me to say next? What do you want me to do next? And life becomes about living in submission to Jesus Christ. One of our players on the Tigers, a great young man named Christian Stewart, has come up through the Tiger organization and uh, this year uh, in our home plate event, uh, I asked the guys, hey, share a Bible verse uh, that relates to your salvation experience. And so here's how Christian, uh, one of our outfielders, answered that question. So a Bible verse about salvation that really means um, a lot and kind of paints an awesome picture for me is uh, Revelations 3.20. It says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, eat with that person, and they with me. And so that just paints a pretty awesome picture for me, just knowing that, I mean, God wants that relationship with us. He's waiting for us to just open that door and let him into our hearts and um, fill us with the Holy Spirit and just be there for us when we need him, which is always. I mean, I think it's always nice to know that God is always with me and like he'll never leave me or forsake me and just knowing that he really wants that relationship and just waiting for it and just urges for it is a, really comforting. I love that verse that he shared. It's like opening a door and inviting Christ in. That's the submission at salvation. Come into my heart and save me. And then once he's in, uh, he doesn't get put to the side. He is there to be king and lord of our lives from there on out. Amen? And we are to submit to what he says. And there's, there's no better evidence of someone's true, genuine faith in Christ than to say they've trusted Christ at salvation than to live a life of submission to him there on out. In fact, if that life of submission is not there Someone then ought to question, hey, do you have a genuine relationship with Christ? Because once you make him king, he's king. And I'm going to submit my life to him. And, uh, and you've heard the saying, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot. And you know that's what? That's not true, is it? He's the pilot and you're not even the co-pilot. He's the pilot. 
And that's what we're called to do is live a life of submission. And so from that cloud that appears on that mountain with James, Peter, and John, uh, they hear as they're coming down, they hear the words, this is my son, listen to him. Uh, it's easy to listen to him on the mountaintop, but we need to listen to him in the valley as well. And as they're going off that mountain, those are the words that God gives to them. Listen, submit, obey what Jesus tells you to do. That's lesson number one. Here's the second lesson I learned. And a wonderful verse here in uh, verse eight, a wonderful phrase. It says, suddenly looking around, they saw they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Here's the second lesson that I learned. Sense the presence of Jesus in your life. How about that? They were with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. In fact, it's likely that Peter, James, and John at this particular point did not yet fully grasp who Jesus was. Because they, they almost put Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on equal footing. Let's build each tense here. And they almost missed, they would learn more as they go on, but they almost miss at this point, hey, Moses and Elijah are great, but Jesus is greater. And they almost miss that. And so coming off this mountain, as they start to look around, walking, where's Moses and Elijah? They're gone. And all they see is Jesus. And you know what? That's exactly what God wants us to do in life, is see Christ at the center of everything. First and foremost, uh, above all others, uh, we get distracted sometimes and maybe think, you know, that political leader or that spiritual leader or that athlete, man, they're the ones I want to look to. You know what? You're going to look around one day and they're not going to be there anymore. And the only one you have to look to is who? Is Jesus. And so coming off this mountain, uh, they get the message the one I need to look to and make the center of my life and sense his presence at all times everywhere is Jesus. Um, for a ball player, uh, the highlight of a guy's career, uh, one of them, is getting called up to the major leagues. You know, they toil in the minor leagues and, uh, of course, more guys don't make it to the big leagues than do. But that's the dream is to get that call to say you're going from a minor league team, AAA, AA, you got the call to the big leagues. One of our guys uh, who I asked this question to about uh, when they got called up to the big leagues to describe it is Daniel Norris. Daniel's a left-handed pitcher. Uh, Daniel, when he got called up to the big leagues, was not in the Tiger organization. He was with the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think they were in Buffalo, a AAA city, and he was in the lobby of the hotel waiting to catch the bus to go play a triple-A game. And uh, his phone rang, and he got a call saying, hey, Daniel, you've been called up to the major leagues. And in that moment, a highlight moment there, uh, here's how Daniel responded. When I got the, I got the call from the, to the bullpen when I came into the game, um, I just remember I was in Fenway Park, and... I had to face one batter, David Ortiz, who was poppy, and 
I remember that run from the bullpen to the mound was, it felt like I was running a mile. It just, it, it felt like it took forever. And then get out there and, and I get him out. I actually struck him out. And then I remember walking off into the dugout, you know, shaking hands with the teammates. And then I, I just remember like sitting there in the corner of the dugout and I just couldn't get the smile off my face. It was just realizing what had just happened and, and such a historic ballpark like Fenway and again, such a good hitter. It was just something that obviously I'll never forget and, and kind of marked the start of, of my career. And I pulled the wrong video clip. <laughs> That's not the one I wanted to show you. That was my mistake. Uh, in the previous video clip, Daniel talks about being in the lobby of that hotel and getting the call. And after he gets the call, he's going to the big leagues, he hangs up his phone. And you know what he did? He prayed. That's what he did. Immediately he just bowed and hadn't thanked God. One of his teammates who was there with him took out his phone and took a picture of it for him. The first person that he wanted to recognize at this high moment in his life was Christ. And that's the lesson here. Wherever you're at in life, the higher the low. Let Christ be at the center of it. Sense his presence everywhere. At work, at play, uh, in church. Wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm feeling like I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, sense Christ's presence. Recognize that he's there with you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The third lesson that I learned here uh, in this passage is down in verse number 10. And so uh, Jesus tells him, hey, don't talk about this until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And in verse 10 it says this, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead might mean. And that word kept there is a really interesting word. It's a word that uh, almost means to capture or to put someone into prison. Uh, the word was used in different ways in the New Testament. Some of the ways that it was used, uh, it was used to describe someone being arrested. It, someone was captured. I'm to approach the word of God to capture it, to imprison it in my life, to lock it up in my heart. That's to be our approach to the word of God. Uh, that word is used uh, to describe someone who comes by uh, an animal of theirs who has fallen into a ditch, and how they go and they lift that animal out of the ditch to keep it. And we are to go to God's word, we're to lift the truths out of it for ourselves and for our life. That word is used to describe uh, the women at the tomb when they see Jesus risen from the dead and they grasp his feet. I'm going to hold on to this. And we are to approach the word of God in that way. And Jesus teaches them, and they practice this, coming off that mountain, they're going to keep what Jesus said in their heart. They're going to talk about it. It's going to turn over in their lives. And folks, I learned this. We need to be men and women who search the word of God, who study the word of God, who read the word of God, who pray over the word of God, this is our book to which we are drawn to. I mentioned earlier that uh, Peter writes about this experience on that mountain in 2 Peter. And here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. 
He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says next. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He describes this event. He says, I was there. As I witnessed to it. And as great as that event was, listen to what he says next. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Talking about the word of God right here. We have it in our hands. That you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How about that? You know what Peter does? He says, I was on that mountain. I saw Jesus. Uh, it was a great experience. But better than that experience is what I get to pick up and read here every day. And folks, this is where we are drawn to. Uh, if you want to live with Christ as king of your life, on the high or the low of life, you've got to be a man or woman, a young person, in the word of God. And uh, one of our guys uh, on the team talked about that um, Bible study that we did this year. So this is Brandon Dixon. Brandon's been with us the last two years, and uh, here well, he is talking. One of the areas I'm really focusing on right now and growing, um, I would say it's a, it's a mix of Bible study and prayer. Um, I'm, I'm currently in a Bible study with a few of the guys on the team, um, and I think just just being in that with that community, even though it's you know via Zoom, um, just to grow with a, a few guys and dig into the Word, um, and just to kind of open your eyes and see, you know, maybe someone has a different uh, thought on a verse that you're reading or different things and bouncing ideas. Um, and then just really focusing on coming to the Lord and, and growing in that relationship with him um, and, and talking to him through your Bible study and, and asking him to kind of lead you where, where he wants to take you. Um, I think that's, that's a daily discipline that, that I've been working on over the last probably year or two. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot of growth just by kind of asking God to lead me through his word, and um, it's, been a, it's been a fun time. I love that, daily discipline. That's what God calls us to do. Daily be in his word, listening to what he has to say, searching his word out, keeping his word in our mind and in our heart. So three things so far, and we have one last one to look at. Uh, to go from the mountaintop to the valley, to let Christ be king in both settings, to make it through the highs and lows of life with some consistency, uh, uh, submit to the authority of Christ. Sense his presence all the time. Uh, search out the word of God. Study the word of God. And here's the last one. And it's in part of the chapter that we did not read yet. But further down in the chapter, when they come off the mountain of the valley, they uh, gather with the other nine disciples. 
And there are people there with the disciples who had come to be healed. And the disciples that had been down in the valley, those nine, were not able to do it. And so Jesus comes to the situation and encounters a man in particular. And down in verse 21, it says this. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? The father had brought his little boy who was having convulsions uh, and, uh, and perhaps demonic possession. And uh, so Jesus encounters him. And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. I love this next verse. The man says this, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know people in the world, and perhaps you're saying today, man, if someone could just have some compassion on me and help me. And that is our call to be able to, here's the last point, serve people. You know how we make Christ king of our life in the mountain or the valley is we're going to serve other people. Uh, Jesus is there, and the man says to Jesus, can you have compassion on us? Can you help us? And Jesus goes on to heal the boy, and he's there to serve. You know what I'd, I would have done? I'd been still reveling in the glory of the mountaintop experience. But the reality is, in the valley, people need to be served. And so Jesus brings those guys down, and immediately they go back to what Jesus was all about. I'm going to serve people. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? To serve. And immediately off that mountaintop experience, uh, a high, he says, life is still about serving other people. You know, right now in the time we're in, it can get so easy to forget to serve others, can it? Uh, we get so focused on our own needs, and I'm not saying neglect those. But often we can forget to serve others. Don't do that. Because when we serve others, we are not only making Christ king in our own life, but we're demonstrating to the world that he is our king. One of our guys on the Tigers years ago, a uh, dear follower of Christ, uh, a pitcher named Mike Marat. And Mike was a left-handed pitcher, pitched with us in the early 2000s. And so one year during spring training in Lakeland, Florida, uh, there was a Christian uh, college baseball team down there. And they asked if uh, I would bring a ball player and speak to them at a dinner one night. So Mike and I went to this dinner at a restaurant, a back room, kind of a steakhouse. And I, there must have been 30 or 40 uh, players, coaches there. And so Mike and I shared a little bit. And then we opened up to questions. And this one kid raised his hand and said, hey, Mike, I got a question for you. As a professional athlete who's a Christian, uh, what is uh, one of the greatest temptations you face, or what is the greatest temptation you face? And I was standing next to Mike, and I thought to myself, man, there's a lot of ways he could answer that. Uh, he could talk about the, the jealousy that can come up in sports, of, hey, I want that job. I don't want that guy to take my job. I want to do better than he does. Um, he could answer that. He could have talked about uh, the temptation of uh, 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 drugs and uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs, other uh, addictive things that are out there. He could have talked about that. He could have talked about temptations of being on the road and uh, the temptations that come up, or greed with all the money. And I was thinking, I wonder how Mike's going to answer this. Here's what he said. He said, uh, for me, uh, this is Mike speaking, one of the greatest temptations I face as a professional athlete who's a Christian is that I forget to serve other people. 
And when he said that, I knew exactly what he meant. Do you know professional athletes are spoiled? People are there to serve them all the time. It's crazy. Uh, after a game, a ball player can come into the clubhouse, and if he's at his locker, and the laundry basket is right there, he can take off his uniform and just drop him right there on the floor. And a clubhouse kid will come and pick him up and put him in the laundry basket. Some of you ladies didn't know you're married to professional athletes, did you? <laughs> but that's, they put their shoes down, and before the next game, a clubhouse kid has polished those shoes up. Uh, when they go on the road, they pull their car into the parking structure in Detroit. Uh, they pop their trunk. They don't even get out of the car. Someone will grab their bags out of the car and put them on a truck. And that truck will go to the airport, get on the plane. When they get to a new city, uh, they get off the plane. A player gets off the plane. Don't have to pick up his bag. Uh, they, uh, he goes to the hotel, uh, the lobby. Doesn't even have to go to the front desk. Walks by a table, finds an envelope with his name, picks it up. He's got his key in it. Goes up to his room and uh, gets in his room. And five minutes later, there's a knock. Here's your bags. And it really is crazy. Uh, but for Mike to say, you know, if I'm not careful, I'll forget to serve other people. And folks, uh, none of us in here that I know are professional athletes. But the same temptation is there for us. To forget to serve other people. So, I don't know where you're at in life today. I, I hope you're on a high, but reality tells me that uh, some of us are on very low lows. Some may be on some highs, and a lot of us are somewhere in between. And that's life, isn't it? That's how life goes. Uh, how do you make Christ king of your life? Well, I think in that story of the transfiguration, to submit to his authority, and that's an unchangeable value in our life. I'm going to do it no matter what. To sense his presence, fellowship with him, talk with him, commune with him, turn to him. Uh, to search the word of God out, be in it every day. This is God speaking to me. And then to go out and serve other people. And that's how we make Christ king of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray together. Father, we're grateful for uh, this story and these men who uh, went through an experience and probably didn't even know all that they were going through at the time. But in that story and in coming off that mountaintop down into the valley, uh, you were there to teach him. And God, I pray that we might be men and women who find these truths uh, to allow us to have Christ king of our life at the highs and lows through whatever we're going through. And so we don't live on a roller coaster, but we live on a steady, stable life that is based on what Jesus has taught us and based on who Jesus is. In his name we pray, amen.